All right, welcome everyone to He's Done It, a mostly sports podcast. I'm Corey Novotny, and I'm joined today by Benjamin Carlson and Brian Wells. Our main topic for today is the NBA playoffs, as the regular season has concluded and two months of intense basketball action await us. We'll preview all eight first-round matchups across the two conferences and give our first set of postseason predictions with our picks on who will advance to the conference semifinals. In the quick hitter segment, we hit the links and talk about a tradition unlike any other, the Masters. We'll break down the early action from Augusta National and give our takes on what to expect by the end of the weekend. Later in the episode, we talk Antonio Brown going off on his former Pittsburgh Steelers teammate Juju Smith-Schuster in Embrace the Bait and say goodbye old friend to Dwayne Wade and Dirk Nowitzki as the two basketball legends both officially announce their retirement after the end of the regular season. And in honor of Easter, the three of us count down the world's greatest resurrections in today's Top 5. Let's get started now. And if you remember, uh, I guess if you're an early listener of He's Done It, you'll remember from our opening episodes when we did our NFL playoff talk that we had some predictions on. And we did a, a little scoring contest with that. We uh, will be doing that again for the NBA playoffs. So the way we're going to do that is two points if you get the team right. One point if you predict the series length. Uh, so I know that uh, Brian, as well as some of our listeners, said, oh, we should not be awarding the, the score the same way as the winner. Uh, so that, that's one of our, our big corrections. And uh, with that, let's jump into our playoffs preview for the Eastern and Western Conference quarterfinals. And let's start off in the Eastern Conference with the number one seeded Milwaukee Bucks versus the eight seeded Detroit Pistons. Well, uh, <laughs> I feel like this is an easy one. I think the the Pistons pick up a participation trophy as the Bucks uh, will probably dominate them. Yeah, I basically have the same take that I don't think the Pistons really have any shot, especially since Blake Griffin is not even remotely healthy right now. I mean, I don't even know if he's ready for game one. Uh, and the fact that he's outside of Andre Drummond, he's probably their only uh, elite player on their team. And the Bucks, even though it's their team's built on Giannis around Giannis, uh, they're by far the superior team in this matchup. So the Bucks are in a bit of uncharted territory. They won sixty games this season, the best record in the entire NBA. But in the past few years, with Jason Kidd and Gio Pronti as their head coach, they have been a 6 or a 7 seed, never having home court advantage, never making it out of the first round. Last year, they, they put up a, a tough 7-game battle with the Boston Celtics. 
But outside of that, they've never had any kind of playoff success with this core. But bringing Mike Budenholzer and this team was phenomenal this year. Uh, and now that they're on this stage, I think it's really important for Milwaukee, if they want to be legitimate uh, title threats, to come out and dominate Detroit and not not give anyone any reason to think that they're going to struggle in the, the next couple rounds when the Eastern Conference competition gets better. Taking care of business. They need to get in and out and get ready for the next round. Yeah, so the, the one concern with Milwaukee is the injuries. Malcolm Brogdon's likely not playing in the series, and... Nikola Miritich is kind of iffy. Dante DiVincenzo is already out for the season. But Giannis has a pretty solid supporting cast in spite of those guys. Chris Middleton was an all-star. Eric Bledsoe has been he's been a, a very good point guard for Milwaukee since he was acquired from the Suns last year. So I, I feel pretty good about Milwaukee in the series. I'm even going to go ahead and predict the Bucks to get a clean sweep. Uh, I'll go Bucks in five just to be a little bit different, but I think the Pistons are, even, even though they're not going to win the series at all, I think they're good enough to maybe win one game. The Pistons play in the Little Caesars Arena, right? Yeah. I, I walked by the Little Caesars Arena when I was in Detroit, uh, but it didn't add any faith uh, to what I think that team is capable of. I'm also going to go with the clean sweep, uh, Bucks in four. All right, so let's move on to the next Eastern matchup, the two-seeded Toronto Raptors taking on the seven-seeded Orlando Magic. So Toronto made a huge move in the offseason when they traded franchise staple DeMar DeRozan for Kawhi Leonard, an impending free agent, going all in on this year, knowing that he might be gone next year and they could be looking at a, a bit of a rebuild. On the flip side, you have the Magic in the playoffs for the first time since 2012 when Dwight Howard was traded to the Los Angeles Lakers. It's been a struggle for Orlando. It's hard to say that it was a, a beautiful rebuild for that team, but they're in the playoffs, and the question is, can they give Toronto an early test? Mo Bamba's not there yet. <laughs> no, he, he hasn't played um, since January. <laughs> it's a... Uh... It's it, I don't know like I'm I'm actually kind of surprised to see the magic here uh, at this point I was I was low key hoping the Heat would uh, get hot at the end of the season excuse the pun uh, so we could see D Wade in the postseason once again but uh, it's not to be and I I feel like this game is very similar to the game we just talked about uh, where if the Raptors want to take advantage of the LeBronless East they need to take care of business in the first round Yeah I don't see the Magic having any sort of shot of being Toronto either. And I think this will be a clean sweep. It's basically just, what, Vucevic doing everything, and and then Toronto with Kawhi Leonard uh, and Kyle Lowry, and also adding Marcus All at the trade deadline is is total... Jeremy Lin as well. And Jeremy Lin. Don't forget Linsanity, yes. <laughs> yeah, he's been solid there. Uh, so the I'll play, I guess, devil's advocate for the Magic. So Nikola Vucevic was unbelievable for them this season 21 and 12 averages outside of that the supporting cast isn't great i actually just found out the other day that dj augustine is their starting point guard aaron gordon is a, a solid player i don't know if he's necessarily been the kind of guy that you hope to get out of a top five pick though evan fournier you know he's he's a guy who he's a solid rotation player outside of that orlando doesn't have a ton of 
players, but they've been putting it together and they've won their last 10 home games. They defeated the Celtics in Boston the final weekend of the regular season. So I think Orlando wins game three and Toronto takes the others. So Raptors in five. I think that uh, the Magic stand no chance. I'm taking the Raptors in four. All right. So next series, 76ers, the the Philadelphia 76ers, the three seed, taking on the Brooklyn Nets, the six seed. So the Nets, of course, infamously built the, the current state of the Boston Celtics when they traded for Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett in exchange for three first round draft picks with the right to swap in 2017 that netted Boston, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So Brooklyn behind D'Angelo Russell, who put together his best season is in the playoffs, but they're going up against a 76ers team that has a loaded starting lineup that is arguably number two to the Golden State Warriors. So how do we feel about Philly coming into the playoffs and do we think Brooklyn can put up any kind of a fight against them so I actually think that Brooklyn can put up a little bit of a fight I think just the fact that they haven't been in the playoffs for I can't even imagine how many how many years it's been especially after I think 2015 was the last time oh oh, okay 2015 I thought it was even longer but I think their team has a little bit more motivation than the others to uh to make some sort of noise in the playoffs. I don't expect them to win, but I think that they'll put up some sort of fight and they're led by D'Angelo, D'Angelo Russell and they got other great role, pretty good role players like Damari, Damari Carroll and Ed Davis, uh, Alan Crabb, Joe Harris. I think Philly will win, but I think Brooklyn will make it a little bit interesting. Yeah, I agree. I really liked what I saw from D'Angelo Russell. I think that he is going to... I think he has enough uh, like talent to at least uh, put up a fight out here. And I also think that the 76ers think that they're all that, and they're going to come into this. Uh, I think they might. Uh, there's a chance they might lack focus, thinking that they'll be able to just roll over this team. And uh, if the if the like if Brooklyn can show some some heart and you know uh, go out there and hustle harder than the 76ers, I think they might be able to steal maybe one or two. Philly is a team that I don't take seriously. Even though I think they'll win this series, I don't know how much uh, how much they'll advance in the postseason. Just because, like you said, Ben, they they're not exactly the hardest working team. They're kind of lazy at times, especially in B defensively. Even though he's a freak on the offensive side of the floor, they're 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 kind of a lazy team and not a great coach team um, as well. So I think because of that, it'll be. It'll be, a, I don't want to say close series, but I think it'll be Philly in six. So I don't know how to feel about the Sixers coming in, um, just because I was pretty down on them most of the season. Even after the Jimmy Butler trade, I wasn't necessarily threatened by them as a Celtics fan. But when they acquired Tobias Harris, I thought that really built a formidable team that could be tough to defeat in the playoffs. And when you have Joel Embiid, who I didn't realize, he's the fourth leading scorer in the entire league this year, while also being the second leading rebounder. He was phenomenal this season. Ben Simmons can't shoot a three, but he doesn't need to. He's been rock solid as a, a former number one pick. You also throw in Jimmy Butler, J.J. Redick, and then Tobias Harris. 
So I I really like the Sixers in the series. I think Brooklyn has with with D'Angelo Russell, they can maybe put up a little bit of a fight and steal a game. But I'm taking Philly in five. I will uh I will also take Philly, but I'll take Philly in six. All right. And you already heard my opinion. I will also take Philly in six. So I guess I'm the the one who's the biggest on the 76ers right now. Um, all right, so let's wrap things up in the Eastern Conference with the final playoff series, four-seeded Boston Celtics taking on the fifth-seeded Indiana Pacers. So this season, a bit of a disappointment for the Celtics with a lot of people expecting them to win the East coming into this season. And as a four-seed, they certainly could still do that, but their, their path to a title is going to be much more challenging and it's really a question of what's going to win out talent or dysfunction <laughs> so i think that i don't think the pacers really have a shot of beating the celtics in a seven game series with especially without oladipo but i still think the celtics have their issues inside their organization i think the players on on the celtics they still don't have the greatest chemistry especially with how how kyrie has handled the the entire season with all the uh, drama of him going into free agency of possibly joining LeBron or going to uh, New York and teaming up with Durant and Zion. Uh, and so because of that, I think that it won't be a clean sweep, uh, but I still think the Celtics are by far the better team and should advance to the next round. Didn't the Celtics just suffer an injury? Was it Marcus? Yeah, Marcus, yeah, Marcus Smart. Smart. He's not. He's not going to be available until... I think he's out four to six weeks and might not even make it. Uh, he he probably won't. He'll like very very likely won't play in this the first round, and then in the second round, whoever they play, I'm assuming will be the Bucks. Uh, there's a chance that he might miss that series too. Yeah, it seems like there's there's a possibility that he could be out not just those first two series, but also might miss some of the conference finals. So last year injuries were were not as big of a detriment to the Celtics as some believe not having Kyrie Irving or Gordon Hayward. You had your young players like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Terry Rozier step up. So I'm, I'm curious to see what we're going to see out of those guys in another playoff atmosphere, but with Somewhat lesser roles, um, having Kyrie Irving in the picture uh, certainly will be the, the leader, and it's hard to question his his playoff leadership considering that he is an NBA champion with the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think that the Pacers were really scary before Victor Oladipo's injury. This might be a little recency bias, but I, I just feel like that Celtics 20-point win in Indianapolis tells you all you need to know about this series the Pacers have some decent role players but they don't have a true star I I, I just can't picture Indiana putting up much of a fight in this series I'm taking the Celtics in five I'll also say Celtics in five just because like you said this is also a little bit of recency bias but yeah like just blowing out the Pacers uh, just about a week or two ago the, the Pacers don't have a shot, so I, I also, but I think they can steal a game, so I'll take the Celtics in five also. I believe that the basketball gods demand a blood sacrifice from the Celtics in exchange for postseason success. And after crippling their man Marcus Smart, the Celtics have unlocked the key to an easy first round. I'll take the Celtics in five. All right, so let's move on to the Western Conference, and the number one seed 
not too much of a surprise, Golden State Warriors, but the team they're going up against, the Los Angeles Clippers, the 8th seed, is a little bit surprising considering that they were perceived as sellers at the trade deadline. Golden State has not been as dominant this season as we may have expected coming in, but they're certainly playing hot right now. Do you guys give the Clippers any sort of a chance? Nope. No. (laughs) All right. Is it fair to say that we're all going to take the Warriors in a sweep? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. And do we all go in with the expectation that the Warriors are the team to be in the Western Conference and probably the entire NBA? Uh, Yep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right well this great the... analysis by all of us <laughs> well okay yeah. okay well let's, uh, real quick question will this be the last hurrah for this group uh, particularly with kevin durant set to reach free agency as well as clay thompson I-, I hope so i hope so too and i actually think it will uh be the last of the warriors run i i think durant is leaving i don't know i have no clue where i don't know if it's new york or la with lebron but I think he is done in Golden State. And I don't think... Yeah, even though in 2015, they the Warriors won with the core of Curry, Thompson, and Draymond. Uh, I don't... Well, I don't know if, if all three of those guys... Well, of course Curry's going to be there after signing that long-term deal. But I don't know what the situation is with Draymond and Clay And whether if they're going to stay long-term or not. And I think Clay I don't is going to Cur- I don't think... Yeah, I don't know if Curry can do it all by himself again. Even though, you know, Clay and uh, Draymond are top twenty-five player, twenty twenty-five players in the league. I just want to see something new. Let's let's let somebody else be dominant. We've seen enough Warriors. You know, let's uh, hopefully someone else. Maybe the Knicks with uh, Zion Durant, and let's see a different team win championships with Durant. Right. all right hopefully not the next all right let's move on to the next series two-seeded denver nuggets versus a seven-seeded san antonio spurs nuggets after not even making the playoffs last season came out and were phenomenal this year Uh, really looking like one of the teams to beat in the west the spurs i predicted them to miss the playoffs i know ben uh, had them getting in 22nd year in a row, Greg Popovich has his his uh, San Antonio Spurs in the postseason. I think that Denver is, while they are the number two seed, I wouldn't say that they're the second best team in the Western Conference. San Antonio, they've they've been here before, at least in terms of the the Spurs organization when it comes to the playoffs and. Even though they're a seven seed, I do think they're going to put up a pretty solid fight against the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, I agree. The Spurs have been here and they've done that, you know. And this time, um, they've got what's his name from the Raptors, De- uh, Demar Derozan. Demar Derozan. Yeah, so they've got more star power than the last time we saw him here. I I think only because Kawhi decided to sit out. <laughs> right. Exactly. So I think that this fills kind of that void. But really, I I do think it's a lot of it is about experience in the playoffs and having an amazing head coach. Uh, but that doesn't mean that I'm giving them the edge in this series. I just think uh, that as underdogs that they actually can put up a decent fight. I also agree, but I I do like Denver in this series still having uh, Nikola Jokic as their top guy and then having uh, a pretty good backcourt as well. Jamal Murray is 
is honestly, you can make a case, uh, besides Ben Simmons, probably the best player in that draft. You can make a case. Jamal Murray uh, has been great this yeah, year. Yeah, Jamal, Jamal Murray has been fantastic. And uh, I still like the other players as well on their team with, uh, uh, you know, with Jokic and, and Murray, but also Will Barton. Uh, Paul Millsap, I th- I think, Gary Harris. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they, have, they have a lot of good pieces there. So San Antonio, uh, DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge both averaged 21 points per game this season. And then I, I like, I don't know if I've fully understood who's on San Antonio's roster this season, but their next leading scorers are Rudy Gay, Bryn Forbes, Marco Bellinelli, Patty Mills, Derek White, Davis Bertons. I don't know how those guys are going to do. Uh, Rudy Gay, of course, is a veteran in there. Marco Bellinelli and Patty Mills are two big veterans. Mills was a a key part of San Antonio's last finals uh, win back in 2014, five years ago. But that also included guys like Kawhi Leonard and Tim Duncan. Yeah, yeah. So to me, it's how, how much can Greg Popovich influence us going up against a Denver team that doesn't have the same kind of playoff experience? But I I do think I'm going to take the Nuggets here, but I'm going to have it in seven games. Wow. I can't wait to see. I I didn't watch this matchup during regular season, but I do uh, anticipate a good matchup between Aldridge and Jokic. Uh, But I think that the Nuggets are a much better uh, basketball team. I'm taking the Nuggets in six. Uh, I thought I was going to be the only one taking the Nuggets in seven, but I'm not alone, unfortunately. (laughs) So I'm going to... But I'm going to agree with Corey. Nuggets in seven. All right. So, so far, all six matchups, we have picked the exact same way. Uh, We'll see if the final two Western Conference matchups add a little bit of variety, starting with the third-seeded Portland Trailblazers taking on the sixth-seeded Oklahoma City Thunder. So, Ben, as a Thunder fan, how about you start off? So, um, the Thunder ended up sweeping this series in the regular season uh the thunder enjoyed a good season against the trailblazers i actually witnessed a pretty easy victory over the uh trailblazers i was in uh chesapeake energy arena in early february to uh see i wanted to see damian lillard in person really that was like the big draw of the game uh but it was uh a game that was handily won by the thunder uh so i like the matchup on paper i think that the thunder have really been in bad form since the all-star break they've been on i mean they've been on a win streak recently but some of those wins i don't really think are quite as quality as they look on paper the rockets win was good but like we just we beat the bucks with none of their starters you know like we were like it that oh we beat the number one seed in the in the east that's really good but it's you know i'm saying that that one doesn't really count so which thunder team is going to show up to these games is really the question and I'm hoping that it's the all-star Paul George, all-star Russell Westbrook that we saw. Uh, but at times, there's been the horribly inefficient Westbrook and the ghost of Paul George, where Paul George just is totally uninvolved, which is is outrageously frustrating. So um, as a team, I think the Thunder have a lot of talent. I think they've got a solid starting lineup, and they're deep at center. I think people sleep on Nolan's no uh, Nerlens Noel, um, but he's actually uh, like 
he has a different skill set than Steven Adams, which I think it comes in handy when Steven Adams heads to the bench. Um, but I'm coming into this this series with a lot of uh, cautious optimism because I think that if the Thunder play their game, they have a th- this is a really good matchup for them. I also agree. Uh, I think. You know, Paul George, he was much better in the first half of the season than the second half. He was probably, other than Giannis and James Harden in the first half of the season, he was probably the the MVP after those two guys. And the second half, he kind of dipped a little bit, but I still think that uh, him and Westbrook will definitely show up in this series. So Portland took a, a, a big blow in late March when their center, Yusuf Nurkic, suffered a leg fracture that will keep him out for the entire postseason. They still have their dynamic backcourt with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. They acquired Ennis Cantor in the middle of the season so he can slot in uh, and replace Nurkic. Portland finished the season 6-2 and two after the Nurkic, victory, or Nurkic injury, but only one of those six wins came against a playoff team. That was a home victory over the Denver Nuggets on April 7th. I think Portland is very capable of putting up a fight in this series, but I think it's going to be the second straight year as a three seed that they get knocked off in round one. Russell Westbrook just continues to wow us. Third straight season, averaging a triple-double. Paul George was phenomenal this year. Maybe a little more in the first half than the second half, but he did hit that big three-pointer against Houston to put the Thunder in this position to be a six seed. So... I was really big on Oklahoma City coming into the season, and I'm going to take him to win here in six games. I, I'm i still super confident in the Thunder. Um, I, I really want to see playoff P, because Paul George was really bold last season where he was like, oh, it's the playoffs now. Y'all, y'all ain't seen playoff P yet. Like this, That's really going to change things. Like Wait till I turn it on in the, in the playoffs. And he had a couple of games that were pretty – good in that jazz series but ultimately it was disappointing because this thunder lost in the first round um and they had home field or home court advantage so uh i i hope that this is a, a, an opportunity for paul george to redeem himself he's committed to the city he wants to uh this is where you know he earns that salary and i'm gonna take the thunder in five i figured i wouldn't be the only one taking the thunder given that ben is a thunder fan himself but uh, I will take OKC, but in seven games. I think uh, Portland is still good enough to compete in this series with not only not only Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum in their backcourt, but they also have, like you said, uh, they added Ennis Cantor in the middle of the season. They also still have Mo Harkless and Alpha Rakaminu uh, providing uh, a lot of you know a lot of help in their starting lineup. And Evan Turner, a former Celtics, Celtic great, is still decent as well. Uh, but I think the Thunder, not only with the help of Westbrook and uh, George leading their team, but also Dennis Schroeder and Jeremy Grant uh, providing some help off their bench is, is huge for them. So I, I can see this being the most competitive series, even though I think Nuggets and Spurs will be seven. I think Thunder and uh, Portland... That will come to the very, end, very, very end, I think. Uh, so, But I think Oklahoma City will get the slight edge over Portland. I'm trying to go to game three. The tickets go on sale tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., and I'm sure it's going to be difficult to get them. But I'm going to be sitting there with my trigger finger on the mouse 
trying to get those tickets. Nice. That would be really cool. Did you go to a game last year in the playoffs? I went to game five. Okay, I think I remember that. They were and it was the it was the third largest comeback in NBA playoffs yeah. history. Okay. With uh, the Thunder being down 25 points and going on this gigantic run to uh, return to the lead and win, ultimately. And I still have the t-shirt that I have uh, that I that they laid across all the seats, which is super cool. It's like a, I know, that's probably a pretty normal postseason thing to do, but, uh, you know, free t-shirt. <laughs> yeah, nice. All right, so let's move on to the final playoff series. That is the fourth-seeded Houston Rockets taking on the fifth-seeded Utah Jazz. So I'm personally of the opinion that the Rockets are the number one threat to Golden State. Last season, Houston was the number one seed. They won 65 games. They weren't quite as good this year when it comes to the the record and standings. But James Harden was unreal, averaging 36 points per game. And Chris Paul has been healthy, and he's he's been phenomenal in his own right. Finally got over that little playoff hump of his last year when he uh, made it to the Western Conference Finals, a place he never got to with New Orleans or the LA Clippers. But they're taking on a Utah Jazz team who, as the five seed the past two years, has advanced to the second round in spite of losing Gordon Hayward. They found their own dominant player in Donovan Mitchell, who I feel like quietly averaged 24 points per game this year. And of course, Rudy Gobert, who not only is likely to win the Defensive Player of the Year award, but he has been one of the better offensive big men in the league as he's first in both true shooting percentage and effective shooting percentage, averaging 16 points per game. I think this this is a, a tough series to call here just because I'm very big on Houston as a whole, but I think Utah is a very scary team to have to play in the first round. Here's my question for you guys, and I want you to answer it honestly. Is Grayson Allen the X factor? Because he scored 40 points per game. <laughs> or 40 points in one game, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but I do actually really like this Jazz team. Uh, last season, when the Thunder played the Jazz, the Thunder kind of fell asleep at the wheel, and the Jazz made them pay for it, especially with the likes of Rudy Gobert. He is—he really eliminated the Thunder's game in the paint. And I know I keep talking about the Thunder. I'm such a, obviously a Thunder fan. But I think that the Jazz have a lot of talent. Um, I, like I, I feel like I don't hear Joe Ingles' name enough. That's because uh, he doesn't look like a basketball player. He looks like he should be a— <laughs> delivery driver he looks like he's the kind of guy you would be playing at the ymca with with your buddies and you just got the one random like 40 year old who decides he wants to run with you (laughs) yeah and and he can he's he's dangerous behind the arc so um and obviously donovan mitchell is the star power like you said he quietly averaged 24 points like i think a lot of people just assumed he was (laughs) averaging 24 points because he does at this point people are like oh he is the jazz you Mm -hmm. know when you think of the jazz who do you think of donovan mitchell he's spider-man you know like he he has all the accolades that go with being a superstar in the nba uh whether he's the most notable or, or you know he stands out in a crowd of stars you know is up for debate but i think everyone knows that he's really good uh but they also have a really great supporting cast including ricky rubio who also frustrated the thunder so much last year i i really noticed him then and since then still uh he's he's an impressive player so i i have a lot of faith in this jazz team against a really impressive 
Rocket Squad. He was probably the arguably the best player in that series uh, last year versus OKC. Super frustrating. I was not a big fan. <laughs> uh, I like the uh, Rockets in six. Even though uh, Rudy Gobert is a, a force in the paint, uh, Clint Capella is just as good. And I think the Rockets' backcourt is, a, I don't want to say a lot better, but, I mean, come on, you have the MVP of the league, and then you have Chris Paul, a healthy Chris Paul, as your other uh, guard in that backcourt. And Aaron, Eric Gordon is still one of the be- better six-man uh, in the league, and uh, and Ken Fareed is pretty good as well off the bench. Uh, so I, I like the, and P.J. Tucker as well. Um, so I like the Rockets, but in six games. Did you guys see Patrick Beverly coaching Jay Crowder on how to stop James Harden? No, was that last night? Yeah, yeah. After the game, he was like giving a point. Like nobody knows exactly what he was saying because it was like neither of them are mic'd up. But he was talking to him, and you could tell by the motions he was making that he was imitating James Harden's eleven-step drop back, like uh, three-point shot. So I think that Patrick Beverly may have given them all the advice they need. I'm going to go, this is my boldest pick of all this. I'm taking the jazz in seven. Wow. I thought for sure I would be the only one taking Utah. I also have the jazz in seven. I think that they're, I think they're going to find a way to shut down James Harden and Chris Paul in a similar fashion that they did with Paul George and Russell Westbrook last season. Utah is just one of those teams where after last last season was the same way. They started out slow, and then they picked things up as the season went on. They're coming in the playoffs looking really, really good, really strong team. So I'm also taking Utah to pull off a bit of an upset in this series. Is this the only matchup where we had different teams only one so i imagine okay. our, our scoring is gonna i'm not gonna change to my the... mind just because you guys picked the jazz but yeah it, it's not <laughs> it's not the best matchup at all but i still like the rockets yeah well like i said i think the rockets are the second best team in the western conference i just i don't like this matchup for them if they were playing any other team other than golden state i would pick them to win i don't trust james harden in the playoffs but i think he can get past uh, this Jazz team, even though they're a good defensive team, don't get me wrong, but I can just totally see them uh, not showing up once they face uh, Golden State and he goes 3 for 14 in Game 7 again. So, all right, that is it for our first round NBA playoff predictions. We'll check back in in a couple weeks as we get some of these results and move on to the conference semifinals. But for now, let's move on to our quick hitter segment where we will be talking golf and the Masters. That is the first major tournament of the 2019 golf season. And what a way to, to kick off Yeah, it's, that. it's my opinion. The It's not only my favorite uh, major, but it's also my favorite uh, golf tournament of the entire year. Uh, like we said in the beginning of the pod, it's a tradition unlike any other. Uh, I, it, it's just it's my favorite major, and uh, I love the traditions that they have with the par three contest beforehand and the champions dinner, and then uh, before tee off they get Gary Player and and uh, and uh, and you Jack. know in honor of honor Palmer and Jack Nicholas Jack Nicholas in on right in honor of uh, Arnold Palmer. Um, teeing off before uh, the Thursday tee-offs go. 
Yeah, and I like that. I like how golf does that. It kind of like the uh, the ceremonial puck drop or first pitch. like a fir- like a first pitch yeah, or doing yeah, a, a dropping first, the first, first puck. drive. Yeah, I think it's a, a cool thing. Exactly. Uh, I was listening to Bruce Cassidy's uh, press conference. I know that has, he has nothing to do with golf, but he talked about how uh, the Masters is here, it, spring is here, and the NHL playoffs are here. It's my it personally, given the fact that I'm a huge golf fan and a huge hockey fan. It's, this is like my this is like my Super Bowl this this weekend. Uh, and for people in terms of who succeeds at the Masters. Uh, I like golfers that uh, succeed, uh, you know, hitting their irons well uh, and also succeeding around the greens. And at the top of the leaderboard, we got Brooks Kepka and Bryson DeChambeau, who are who haven't had a lot. Yeah, of success So just here. like one thing to say, we're, we're recording this after the conclusion of the first day. So this is not a, a full master's preview. We're going to recap the, the first day and at. Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka are tied for first at six under, but you have Phil Mickelson just behind him at minus four or minus five, Dustin Johnson minus four. So you got some some star power right at the top of the leaderboard. Brooks Kepka won the US Open in 2017 and 2018, won the PGA in 2018. Is it looking like he's gonna win the Masters now? He's only he only cares about the majors. When you look at his tournament history and other places that he's played at he he really doesn't care about the other tournaments he only cares about the important events the majors the players championship and he's he's really he hasn't gotten enough praise or buzz because of that uh and he hasn't he hasn't gotten the praise like rory or dj or or justin thomas jordan spieth but he i really do believe that he's in that class with those guys and and also the PGA Championship last year, uh, you know, Tiger got all the buzz because of his comeback, but Brooks Kepka was the winner. Like no, no one talked about Brooks Kepka when he won uh, his third major, and part of that's probably because of his boring personality. Yeah, like he is only, he like a likable just, guy, or is he just kind of? He's you just he's just all about or? he's just all about golf and yeah, building building huge muscles, but he doesn't really show off. Um, any emotion when he makes big shots he's not like john rom where or, or tiger when you know where he's screaming or or fist pumping after a huge putt he, he's he's like dj where he's or dustin johnson for people who don't know who dj is uh he's like dustin johnson where he doesn't really show much emotion at all and just does a simple wave to the crowd and then just goes on to the next hole so for me the the majors are the the tournaments that draw me the most into wanting to watch golf, I, I really love playing it, but I, I can't necessarily sit down and care who who does well in just any random tournament throughout the year. It's really hard to get casual fans into golf. Like for me, so, of course. Yeah, so Ben isn't even a casual about... fan of golf. Like he's he's a big top golf and mini golf guy. Uh, but what so what would get Ben to watch the Masters this weekend, or someone like Ben who isn't a big golf fan, I think it's yeah. Ho- sell I, it, sell it to me. I think <laughs> to be brutally honest, I think it's really hard to to draw other other fans if if Tiger's not in it because because the whole point of all these tournaments is if Tiger is in it, then everyone is watching. But when he's not in contention, 
no one really cares if if he's in it or not. And yeah. some people watch to root against him, given his history off the course and all you know everything that's happened in his past. So there are people that a lot of people love Tiger, of course, but there are people that also hate him and be and you know they tune in to love or or hate him. Or, and the other personalities in golf, they don't really draw uh, the attention to other fans. I mean, Ricky Fowler, he's the cool guy. He wears the nice clothes. Uh, I'm a huge fan of him as well, but there really aren't that many other personalities. I mean, Jordan Spieth, he's the golden boy. Brooks Kepka and Dustin Johnson, they're just the big, uh, the big guys who can bomb it off the tee from, you know, hitting it 350 yards. Uh, but what but, you're saying is like I need to get invested in one of these personalities. Exactly. Find somebody who I, you know, I like that I identify exactly. with, so I can. Exactly. Or just hope Tiger Woods, uh, after finishing two under four strokes back as a leader today, can keep himself in contention heading into the weekend and on the final day. People uh, will still I, watch the Masters no matter what. It's just that yeah. there'll be way the viewership will be much higher if Tiger isn't. Yeah, the and as a casual fan, like I don't necessarily need Tiger Woods to be there, but I would love to see some of these other big names, like whether it's Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Roy McIlroy, Jordan Spieth, uh, even like going down to some of these guys like Dustin Johnson. Just you know, he's he's the world's number one player, right? No, I think Justin Rose is at the moment. Justin Rose is now, really? Yeah, because he won the FedEx Cup last year. He won the Farmers Insurance Open. I think Dustin Johnson, I, I haven't looked at the list recently, but I think Dustin Johnson's second. He won the Farmers Insurance Cup? <laughs> oh my god, dude. That's so lame. I like that the Masters, at least, is just it's not called like the Geico Masters, Yeah, it's right? just the Masters, yeah. Yeah, Thank there's God. no. Is there oh. even a sponsor for the Masters? I don't think so. Not yeah, that I don't. Either. I don't think it needs one. It's it's just that that great of an event. It, it absolutely does not need one. I hate like that's one of the things I really hate about a lot of American stadiums is that they're they're named they after all these brand brands and companies. Yeah, like so you know what I'm saying like we play at the Me Undies Arena and it's like oh God I don't like wait is that an actual be, arena? Like, the fact that you don't know is a problem, <laughs> yeah. right? Who plays, yeah. the, who, it could wait, who be. plays there? The Albuquerque Isotopes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they just came out with their new Me Undies burger that actually comes with <laughs> underwear under the bun. <laughs> So. But you know what I'm saying? I hate that. It's like one of the it's one of the most laughable things about uh, college football bowl games is you know you can go to like the Duck Commander Quack Bowl or whatever, and like <laughs> yeah. you can the the Ace Hardware Spare Parts Bowl. I I'm a I do not like that at all. So I at least actually that's something you can sell me on for the Masters is that it's such it has such a tra- tradition to it and it's so highly respected. Uh, and it's one of the few competitions that hasn't sold out completely to become the Cheetos Flaming Hot Masters. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the the defending champion Patrick Reed he's he's won over through the first round. How do you feel about him? Because He's a guy who I know he has that Captain America uh, nickname, something that he's achieved based on his performance in the Ryder Cup. But it seems like almost everyone that I talk to hates the guy. Uh, I'm not a huge Patrick Reed fan either. I just he he has that questionable past with everything he did in college, from you know cheating on the course and then getting kicked out and uh, going to Augusta State and. 
and just not being liked by anyone. On, I don't think he has any friends on tour. Yeah, uh, that's something that I th- remember. There, there was one interview he had where he was actually asked, like, who are you good friends with? And he said, oh, I, you know, me and uh, Henrik Stenson, we really get along. And then Henrik Stenson was asked about Patrick Keane's, like, yeah, I practiced with him once. <laughs> like, so so he just made it up. So, yeah, he yeah. doesn't have any. When he won the Masters last year, uh, well, when he was on 17, Ricky Fowler, who's loved by everyone, including my, including myself, uh, he made a huge putt in the group before Patrick Reed's, and the whole place went nuts, thinking that Ricky's going to maybe actually win this tournament if Patrick Reed gives up a stroke, and they go into sudden death, and Ricky... Uh, prevails but uh, when Patrick Reed came on 18 and then he made his last putt to win the Masters there is barely anyone you could hear some people cheering but there were it was just like you know you know small golf claps it wasn't much it wasn't much else so people so a lot of people including myself do not like Patrick Reed no even though he's known as quote-unquote Captain America yeah, and he's going to be the guy who's going to have to put a green jacket on someone else. So that that should be a, a, a little little fun experience with whoever probably doesn't like him having yeah, to... Yeah, I, I can't imagine how the Champions Dinner went with him. Uh, so every year that someone wins the Masters, the very next year they get to host a dinner with all the previous champions, and they get to pick the meal. The last few champions have been Patrick Reed... Sergio Garcia and then Bubba Watson in 2012 and 2014 and those are like the three most hated guys in the in the entire sport. I can't even imagine the awkward conversations they all had. I, I've always, I've never understood how a guy named Bubba could be hated because <laughs> that just seems like the kind of Is, name that you love the guy. Isn't he from South Carolina? Bubba Watson. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I'm pretty sure he is because I think when he won, everyone was like, "He's our guy" because he's from our state. So you got to root for Bubba. Uh, maybe Mr. Mer- maybe another uh, another guy, but I'm pretty sure that he's he's from South Carolina. Let me see, Bubba Watson hometown, Pensacola, nope. Florida. That is not him, dude. Why was I why was I low key supporting I think this Dustin, guy? <laughs> I think Dustin Johnson might be. Well, he went to. I think he went to. Okay, I, I don't mean to. I don't mean right, to derail right, this yeah. conversation. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so I, I I guess from here, what are our final predictions for the weekend? So I expect, well, I, I'm hoping Ricky comes out on top like I predicted. But I do think after this first round, it sh- it's it seems like Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka are going to be uh, in one of the final groups uh, this weekend. It might be a little too early since it's just round one, but... Uh, they're they're playing uh, really great golf right now. Uh, in terms of the guys that are at the bottom of the leaderboard, I don't expect Paul Casey to make the cut, even though he's been fantastic at this course in the past. Yeah, nine shooting, over, shooting, eighty-six, shooting out of nine over without without yeah without any birdies. Uh, that's really really hard to come back from. But I do. And think- it's not even like the Masters is one of those really challenging majors courses where the winner shoots like one under. It's always one where, like, having the leaders be at minus six for the first day is low scoring, right? See, the thing is, with the at Augusta, it really all depends on the weather or whether there's a lot of wind. So the year where Jordan Spieth won the Masters, there the weather was perfect all four days, and that's why 
all the scores were really, really low. And including his, I think he shot 18 under and second place was uh, Justin Rose at 15 under. Okay. Uh, but the year after where he collapsed in in the final round on uh, the 12th hole and shot quadruple bogey, uh, that year there was a ton of wind and only him, Danny Willett, Lee Westwood, a couple other guys. I, I think Paul Casey was actually one of them. Uh, they were the only guys to shoot under par, uh, be, given that there was so much wind. So it all at that course, it depends all on the weather. Yeah, and the Masters usually has like one or two days where the weather isn't great, right? And and it doesn't look like it's going to be uh, the next few days. I think Friday and Saturday there's going to be some uh, scattered thunderstorms, but on Sunday I don't even know if they're going to finish the tournament because I think it's going to be really? th- they're going to be thunderstorms the entire day. So I don't even yeah. know if they'll finish. On Sunday. So you don't want to have a Caddyshack moment where someone's playing out in a thunderstorm and gets struck by lightning and electrocuted and dies and you you have Bill Murray has to yeah. run off in the rain, pretend like nothing happened. Or in Space Jam where they find a hole that leads them to Looney Tunes world. <laughs> right, you guys? That's a golf reference. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's let's wrap up our uh, our master's talk with that one. So let's move on to our next segment. That is Embrace Debate. Oakland Raiders wide receiver Antonio Brown took numerous shots at former Pittsburgh Steelers teammate Juju Smith-Schuster on social media this week after being set off by internet commenters and later being called out himself in response by the young wide receiver. Should this post-trade episode, adding to a list of question marks before arriving in Oakland, Leave the Raiders concern about the recently acquired Brown. First off, I just want to say that is so weird and disappointing to have to say the words Oakland Raiders wide receiver Antonio Brown. But I digress. Let's let's kind of talk about this. So just to give some background for those of you who are unaware, Antonio Brown was was kind of tweeting some stuff about keeping his emotions off the internet and uh, wound up getting a response from a Steelers fan uh, with an image of uh, Juju Smith-Schuster as a team MVP, which he was named last season. And Brown promptly responded by saying that he fumbled the season away because he, he had a costly fumble in their Week 16 loss to the New Orleans Saints that ultimately uh, left them out of control of their own destiny and out of the postseason. To which Juju Smith-Schuster, after that response, was saying, oh, I've had nothing but respect for this guy, and he's going to call me out like that. And it was just a very mature response from him, to which Brown, the next day, uh, posted on Instagram a DM that Juju sent him when he was in college at the University of Southern California, saying that he's been such a big fan and like wanted to get advice from him. So... You very much have Brown kind of looking like a pretty bad guy, right? Well, I just love how Antonio Brown was being, like, he was acting out, and everyone was like, yeah, you go, Antonio Brown. You don't want to play for the Steelers? You should act wild. Tank your uh, your value in uh, for a trade, and that way the Steelers suffer that much more. I, I think the Steelers are a pretty popular team to hate. I guess the opposite of popular, unpopular uh, among the league because they win so much. 
And then he gets traded to the Raiders, but then he keeps acting crazy. Everyone's like, whoa, 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 dude, you already got traded. You don't have to tank your value anymore. And the culmination of that, I think the, it reached a peak when he posted that DM from Juju. Because from, I know, from the outside perspective, from us, we, we obviously don't know what's going on inside Antonio Brown's brain. But from this perspective, it seems like he's posting that and he's like, hey, that guy you guys like so much who's be- who I'm beefing with right now, well, that guy was a fan of mine and he very nicely asked me for advice when he was in college, right? So that makes me better. And everyone else looks at that and they're like, wow, Juju's such a mature and nice guy. And he was even mature and nice in private, in DMs, be- like before he was a star, before all this stuff is out there. So... Antonio Brown's trying to dunk on Juju, but instead he's actually shedding light uh, and showing that Juju is as nice a person that we all think he is. So it ends up just making Antonio Brown look like a really, not not just like a mean person, but also stupid. It's like, how did you think that this was going So yeah, and like you said that in the New Orleans game, he fumbled the season away. Well, what if the Ravens lost to the Browns, but then all of a sudden the Steelers lost their game? Because Antonio Brown didn't show up and decided to just sit that would out have the been last horrible. Yeah, yeah, it would have been his fault. He would have been the one that uh, cost them the season if that happened. But yeah, there no, there are a lot of things you can point to about the Steelers, but it is you know fair for Brown to say that his fumble, uh, the Smith Schuster fumble in Week 16 against New Orleans was the almost nail in the coffin with the Baltimore victory over Cleveland being the final nail. I think this whole thing really proves that everything with Antonio Brown's trade demands and wanting to get a Pittsburgh, all of the, the acts and everything he did to do that was about money. He, he can say it, it, all it also, these things it also about, pro- it, 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 it proves that he's not exactly the best teammate and he doesn't no no he, he doesn't care that much about winning and cares way more about uh getting the ball and being the star yeah it's it it wasn't about ben roethlisberger being a bad teammate and maybe to some extent brown had those thoughts and was was putting them out there to get himself out of pittsburgh but you have juju smith schuster come in and he's a second-year receiver who already in his first year got Martavis Bryant out the door and traded to Oakland. Now, all of a sudden, Antonio Brown is like, I'm out of guaranteed money, and this guy is coming in, and he's putting up just as good, if not better, numbers than me, and that's going to affect my chances of getting more money because all of a sudden he becomes expendable, and the Steelers are going to be looking to lock up Juju, and if that means that Antonio Brown doesn't get a big contract, well, sorry, that's that's how we do things here in Pittsburgh. We don't give you big guaranteed contracts for four or five years down the road. You have to earn your spot on the roster every single year and earn the, the money that we somewhat agree to. So Antonio Brown, that's his way. He's able to get into Oakland, and he gets his big money, and everything he's doing attacking juju just it shows that kind of jealousy it 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 just brings out the whole idea that ab was just looking to get a big contract and everything that he did over the offseason was his way of getting out of pittsburgh and into a different situation and now oakland has to deal with this another thing to mention i remember in the middle of last season juju was asked about how much success he was having and 
he even talked about how a lot of the reasons why I'm having success is because every, all the attention is going to Antonio Brown uh, from the imposing defenses. And I, that sh- like Ben said, that shows you that Juju is the more humble, nicer uh, player to root for. And Antonio Brown is not exactly uh, the best teammate and is a little bit of a course of diva. Yes. Okay. One thing I, I really think is important to mention, I've heard on some other like sports podcasts, they'll refer to Juju Smith-Schuster as just Juju Smith. Dude, not okay. His name is Juju Smith-Schuster. Sorry if that's too many syllables. For oh, you. I've heard it the other way around. People just call him Juju Schuster. I've never well, heard Juju, Juju Smith, Smith. First off, like th- it's likely we'll get another Juju Smith. Smith's a very common last name. If anyone else named Juju comes in the league, statistically, it's probable their last name is Smith. But but when yeah. I'm <laughs> so put some respect on his name. He's good enough. That that's like calling Adam Thielen like just Adam Thie. You're like, oh well, you know, he wasn't relevant before, so we won't call him his whole name. Call him his whole name. But what I want to bring up is uh, I think Ben Roethlisberger definitely has played a part in the collapse of Antonio Brown's Steelers career. Did you know that he does a weekly radio show during the season? Yeah, I was just about to say that. All he does every single week, he calls out, I mean, he'll call out teammates, but he'll particularly call out Antonio Brown every week on the radio. He doesn't do that every week. He did it one week after a loss to Denver, which really... I think it it's tough look for him to blame Brown for a horrendous interception he threw, but it was just that it was just the one week, the one time he called him out, and that's everything that people focus on. Everyone focuses on Ben calling out teammates, even though he's usually the first guy to take the blame in most situations. Right, but he also in an interview after that that he's earned the right to call out his teammates, and you could argue that maybe he has. He's he's a very tenured quarterback with a lot of accomplishments in his career so yeah he's definitely earned that right but i think the difference between ben roethlisberger and someone like peyton manning is they've earned the right but do they use it uh i don't think peyton manning has ever thrown anybody under the bus Uh, and a lot of great quarterbacks put it all on themselves because that's what a good leader does and i think at the very least ben roethlisberger didn't do anything to help the situation by you know antagonizing antonio brown instead of focusing on you know having that unity as a team so i still think antonio brown is mostly to blame but there are more factors here than just antonio brown acting a fool that's fair uh, i don't want to fully say that ben is in the right to just call out his teammates whenever he wants and i i think it's a ridiculous comment by the Steelers gm kevin colbert to say that that is that is the case but i still think that a lot of this antonio brown thing is more just a scapegoat for his his real ulterior motives right and 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 i think we should focus a little bit more now on the the current situation which is antonio brown playing for the oakland raiders and so far he's been a distraction whether you like it or not, Antonio Brown has been a distraction since he's become a Raider. And uh, if he can be Antonio Brown, if he can continue to be the guy that he's been for during his career with the Steelers, then I think he can have a license to, be, to act a fool. I think Marshawn Lynch is kind of an example of this, maybe to a lesser degree, where he was kind of, he had off the field antics, the I'm just here so I won't get fined and like dancing around on the sidelines when he was in Oakland. Like he did a little extracurriculars, but he was so undeniable on the field that it didn't matter. It didn't hurt the team at all. In fact, people rallied behind him because he was, he was acting like himself, 
but also performing on the field. So if Antonio Brown, because he's such an amazing wide receiver, he he holds the record for like the best four year stretch of any wide receiver ever. Like I'm not exactly sure how you measure that, but I watched a video on this to research the uh, for this podcast, and he has the numbers. He has the ability to basically act however he wants because he's that good but he's in a brand new system brand new quarterback brand new situation and if he can't bring that production to this Raiders team then he's nothing but a uh you know a, a disease to that locker room yeah I mean the, the big thing with Brown is he's a world-class talent but those antics will only be acceptable as long as you produce and if he has any kind of drop off in Oakland He's he's been a all pro receiver. He a hundred plus catches, a thousand plus yards, six years in a row. And if he's failing to put up those numbers early and throughout the season, he's going to be heavily scrutinized in media for his actions getting out of Pittsburgh, especially if Juju Smith Schuster, Dante Moncrief, who the Steelers signed in the offseason, James Washington, other Steelers receivers put up phenomenal numbers even without him being there, or at least numbers to the point where the Steelers are winning. This could be another Randy Moss situation when he went from Minnesota to Oakland and then did nothing uh, when he was there and basically wanted out and didn't even perform to expectations. Brown can honestly do the same thing uh, this upcoming season and, and not do you know, what he's being paid to do. It would not be surprising. I think there are a lot of Raiders fans when it happened that felt this was more of them acquiring Jerry Rice and Randy Moss. But the fact that a month later after the trade and he's still making headlines for his social media interaction with Steelers players is is certainly something that you have to be worried about. But when you're a 4-12 and team, your last season in Oakland about to go to Las Vegas, I guess there's there's more things in when it comes to the the Raiders hopes and success for this season but it it certainly is not a good luck uh this this whole Juju Antonio Brown mess for the Raiders receiver so let's move on to our next segment that is goodbye old friend and we will say goodbye to Miami Heat guard Dwayne Wade and Dallas Mavericks forward Dirk Nowitzki who both announced their retirement and the end of their legendary careers following the conclusion of the 2018-19 NBA regular season. Goodbye, old friend. This is how you do it. This is how you end your career in sports. This has been like a year-long celebration of these two. They even got invited to the All-Star game, kind of like honorary team members. It's been great, and it's like an example of how the league will treat you if you are a good ambassador for the league you know these guys have always been people you can look up to not i mean obviously they've been very prolific players they wouldn't still be in the league if they weren't but they've also been just a positive image for their own teams and the league in general and i think they've been rewarded for that in the celebration that has been their final season i did i did think that was really cool how the san antonio spurs gave that tribute to Dirk in his last game, given that they're division rivals. And also the fact that these two, Dwayne Wade and Dirk Nowitzki, the two finals that they, well, Dwayne Wade made more finals, of course, but the the fact that the Mavericks faced the Heat twice 
the first time that he gained the edge when Dwayne Wade had Shaq uh, and became finals MVP and a star in the league. And then the second time they met, Dirk was the one that came out on top and pulled off the upset versus not only Wade, but LeBron and Bosh and the rest of that team. I think that was really cool how they both met in the finals multiple times and how their careers have ended and with retirement tours. And question to you guys, how do you guys feel about retirement tours in any sport? I have a love-hate relationship with them. I think it's kind of cool for the fans to know that, okay, as well as the team to know that this is the last season that this player is going to play. We can know going in, hey, this it's been a great career. Like, this is it. You got to start moving on. But then it just kind of feels like it becomes more about the players and the teams with every game. You have all these like jersey exchanges. You have all the opposing teams have to give off some kind of like a commemorative uh, recognition, whatever, for for that player's final game, regardless of what kind of uh, effect they had on those other teams careers. I think that these are two guys who have earned that just based on what they did. But overall, I, I almost think I would. It becomes a love guys, fest. Yeah, I think I would rather have guys make those announcements you, uh, later. Yeah, I I definitely respect the the Tim Duncan approach and not even telling anyone until the season is over and you're you're just out the, you're out you're done. Mm-hmm. And I did like it when Mario Rivera was you know did his retirement tour uh, in baseball, but then it got a little bit you know too dramatic when. Derek Jeter did it, and then David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez, and just it just went on and on. Yeah, it it got it gets a little tiresome. I think it's it depends on the situation. I think both of these guys are still more D Wade than Dirk, but they're still good enough to play ball, you know. So it's not like they're like it's my retirement tour, and then they're on the bench the whole time. Yeah, but they're and they're also like the situation was right. I don't think a lot of people expected the Heat to be that good or the Mavericks to be all that good, although. Luca has been amazing. Um, it, it's it's okay for them, I think, to take away some of the spotlight from their teammates because that that can kind of be the, the thing for this year. You know, it's Dirk's last year. It's Wade's last year. Uh, it's it's different than let's compare it to Peyton Manning's last year with the Broncos, where if he had been like, "This is my last year," going into the and people still there are still storylines about is this Peyton Manning's last ride? The fact that it wasn't something that he brought up and, and that he was forcing mm-hmm. on everybody else um, allowed the entire team to be celebrated in that moment when they did achieve so much. Now these two basketball teams weren't achieving all that much. So it's like, okay, at least we've got the, you know, the retirement tour. You know, at least people are like, yeah, yeah D Wade's last ride. I- I'm so happy to see him. I'm so happy to see Dirk here. You know, it's like, n- we're not getting anything else done this season. So it, it might be, I think that these two players had ideal situations for that final season, that that goodbye, the, the, the retirement tour. It is also kind of turning the spotlight on yourself because you're saying, this is the last time I'm going to do this, so pay attention, right? You mm-hmm. could just quietly exit the league without having people scrutinize every last game. I feel like D-Wade, and maybe this is just my own little social media bubble, but I do feel like D-Wade got a lot more attention than Dirk. But obviously, both of them were on their retirement tour, but a lot of people were like, D-Wade, still doing it. Don't retire. You know, you're still getting things done because he helped beat the Warriors, right? Didn't they upset the Warriors? Or upset. I mean, it, they... Uh, the I'm Cavs? Trying to remember who... 
No. The, the Heat? No, Dwayne Wade. <laughs> yeah, Dwayne Wade was Dwayne... on the Heat with LeBron. He was on the Heat. No, this season. No, when they played this season. The Heat and oh. the Warriors? <laughs> yeah. I... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The buzzer yeah. beater. Right, yeah, right. Wade... Oh, I know what you're and, talking and, about now. Yeah. <laughs> like, it just adds that much more to the value of what he's doing because it's his last season, right? A lot of people b- beloved him. Yeah. So, I-, I guess what I'm trying to say is the situations were ideal for both of these guys to have a, a retirement tour. So, yeah. I think that it worked yeah. out. Outside of David Ortiz, all these all these guys who have done these retirement tours, their teams don't have a shot of making the playoffs. Uh, yeah, dirt. I don't know if I would say those two Yankees teams with Mariano Rivera and Derek Jeter. Oh, have well, a shot, but, oh true. Yeah, but I, I, but I understand they, the the concept. Yeah, like when Kobe Bryant did his, the Lakers were they the Lakers had no good. shot, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I, and then they gave the, him the ball sixty times, and you know made him miss almost every shot until the, his amazing fourth quarter. I like it for the all-star game. I like it for the final game of the regular season. It's all the other stuff, all the theatrical It gets side, too much yeah. when they, it gets too much when they give out gift. Yeah. Baskets that's, that's the thing that kind of, you yeah. know, it's just like, it, it feels old, you know, it, it's just like, why is it, why does everything have to be about Dwayne Wade? Why can't it be about the Miami heats push to be a playoff team? Um, you know, and for the, like the Mavericks, I think part of the Dirk thing was that he was overshadowed by Luka Doncic having an amazing first season in Dirk's final season. Uh, but overall, I think with these two guys, Wade is a tough one for me just because of the whole LeBron situation with that Miami Heat team, which were so easy to hate. So I was gonna say the same yeah. thing. Yeah, for Dirk, everyone yeah. loves Dirk. Oh, and How the you Dirk, Dirk? Dirk beat that but, team. But Dwayne so. Wade, Dwayne Wade, a sneaky, dirty player at times, and that whole thing with LeBron and Bosch. You you hate him more than yeah, I do. I mean, but, I, I I can't say I'm sad. To a lot see wait, isn't that just because? But... Isn't that just because the Heat stopped the Celtics from advancing in yeah, the playoffs like yeah, the whole time? Yeah, that's part of it too. Yeah, right? I admit mean, <laughs> that. It's the same same thing. Like I'm sure that you wouldn't wouldn't be saying great things about like a, a Russell Wilson retirement tour with the Seahawks, or if, he would just if, talk if, about if, God. If it was happening this season, then I would be saying nice things. <laughs> <laughs> Russell Wilson, please retire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay, all right. So uh, let let's move on now to our our final segment. So th- this will be the the last podcast we record before easter even though it's next weekend we won't have a new one next week so we're going to do a top five that is easter themed and in honor of easter we're going to count down the world's greatest resurrections in today's top five not two not three not four top five top five top five I will get us started with my number five, and I'm going with Juliet Capulet. William Shakespeare, of course, it's hard not to consider him one of the greatest writers of all time. I I had to read a few uh, William Shakespeare plays and books in high school. I know Brian also did as well, and I I liked Romeo and Juliet. That was that was freshman year, and Juliet, of course pretends to die so that way she doesn't have to marry someone other than Romeo but Romeo doesn't get that message so he finds her 
dead and decides to kill himself and when Juliet awakens to see Romeo is dead she takes her own life Romeo and Juliet greatest tragedy of all times that's something that we can agree with one of the greatest love stories like that's something that everyone thinks about eh I think Jim and Pam is better (laughs) okay (laughs) so when you said when you said read in high school, do you mean like actually read the book or just go on Spark Notes and oh, well, just for, cheat on it? For every Romeo test? and Juliet, we had to <laughs> act it out in class. I don't know what, what your your teacher did. Really? I mean that I, sounds like yeah. fun. Well, I guess I, read it in class. We didn't fully act it uh, out. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, okay, okay, yeah. I mean you, I, never mind. Yeah. We actually did read Dang, it. Dang, dude. Class. I exactly. bet you got to kiss a girl for a school assignment. But um <laughs> <laughs> but dude, I hated Shakespeare in high school. I was like, I can't believe one of the greatest writers ever can't write one sentence that I can understand without needing a freaking uh, translation. <laughs> this guy so, is horrible. So but, one thing but, we did with this, we actually read the translated version so we could understand it. Well, here's the thing. Now that I'm an adult and you know I have a firmer grasp on the English language, I actually, I now realize why they make us read him. Because okay. he, he is quite clever, and it's easier to understand what the like the weird jargon he uses if you see it acted out, if you watch the play live. Which again, we weren't doing; we were reading, and I was disappointed. But now, I there's actually a local Shakespeare in the Park troupe here in OKC, and I have seen. Well, I've only seen one production, but I plan on going back to see more because it was amazing, very funny, and uh, it it helped me realize what i was missing before william shakespeare is quite great so i can't properly judge romeo and juliet because my opinions of it are literally literally the opinions of an eighth grader <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah so that that's fair so yeah number five resurrection juliet faking her death waking up and then actually dying so number four i went with landfill from the movie beer fest and uh in, in the movie Beer Fest, there's this character, Landfill. And this is a movie from 2006, one of those very much you know, kind of stupid comedies that's hilarious at the same time. Landfill is a big beer drinker who actually dies by drowning in a vat full of beer. And he's a hilarious character, so the writers of this movie were like, oh, man, well, this is a funny scene, but how do we bring him back? So what they do is they resurrect him via an identical twin who is basically just the... It's the same actor, the same person, just with a southern accent, and everything (laughs) about him is the same, and he even says, hey, you guys can call me Landfill as well in honor of my dead brother. So it's basically (laughs) the exact same character. Just They say, oh, no, it's his twin brother. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's hilarious so, yeah so that he's my number four at number three even though i don't like the guy i went with thanos i actually just watched avengers infinity war last night and so this is an interesting one so in terms of the resurrection there's really two things it's part thanos related so the first one is you think that gamora kills him but that was it turned out he had the reality stone already and that was when you're like, oh, man, so this Thanos guy is really like, how how are the Avengers going to defeat him? And then later, not Thanos who's resurrected, but the Mind Stone. Uh, we think that it is destroyed, but then he's like, nope, I still have the Time Stone. And he just brings it back and 
takes it from Vision and ultimately gets all six stones. And uh, I am very excited for the new movie to come out to see what happens from here and hope that Thanos is defeated this time. But uh, his his resurrections, just what he was able to do in that movie, make him my number three here. And Ben, do you have anything you want to say in terms of maybe a little plug? Affable Chat will be doing our Infinity War episode coming up. We will have seven guests on this episode. Just like uh, Infinity War, we're going to have way too many featured characters (laughs) on our podcast. And it's going to be fantastic. how do you get seven guests on one sh- on one on one episode? We're, we're kind of doing a bit, but I also think that it's gonna come. Out do you get good. people from the movie in this? <laughs> Actually, most of them are returning guests. Uh, but we're what we're doing is unprecedented. It is the most ambitious crossover podcast episode of all time, and it's going to be fantastic. So I'll leave it at that. Uh, but I do respect your inclusion of Thanos uh, as kind of a double sided, a double pronged. Um, resurrection reference all right yeah very excited for that episode uh let's move on number two harry potter so i was never someone who's just like absolutely obsessed with harry potter i enjoyed the books i enjoyed the movies but in terms of him as a character he's he's one of the more renowned characters in books from the last couple decades and I had to include him on my list. Of course, we think that Lord Voldemort kills him with the Avada Kedavra killing curse. But Harry Potter, in a dream sequence, has a conversation with Dumbledore where he finds out that he was secretly a Horcrux, something that Voldemort didn't know about. So he just killed the Horcrux and not Harry himself. And Harry's able to come back to life, pretend he's dead. And ultimately, through that, uh, Voldemort is defeated and Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows is it was my favorite book of the series so to me in, including him in, in my greatest resurrections was easy choice at number two but he's not number one at number one I'm going with one of the greatest WWE superstars ever the Undertaker He is the first person that came to mind when we decided to do the greatest resurrections because he is just notorious for coming back from the dead after being buried and burned alive, something he's done five plus times in his career. Uh, A lot of it happened before I I was a wrestling fan, but it's always very cool looking back at some of those those episodes, not episodes, some of the, the videos of his returns. And I think a lot of it was uh, this was just his way of you know getting getting some time off, whether it's for paternity leave or going on vacations, whatever. But it was it very cool um, for all the fans when you think the Undertaker is gone, and then all of a sudden he resurrects himself and is back out on the ring. So he is my number one. He actually made an appearance at Monday Night on Monday Night Raw this past week after missing WrestleMania for the first time since 2000. So that's another kind of resurrection for him. How many resurrections does he have in his history? At least five, six if you count Monday. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay, then he he deserves to be at your number one. I like it. Yes. Okay. I'm ready to do my top five resurrections, and I'll start with number five, 
best resurrection is Billy Ray Cyrus's career. Uh, and this one's kind of tongue in cheek. I just really want to bring up Old Town Road remix. <laughs> I love and this. It is such a good song. I love the remix. It's great. Okay, were you guys listening to Old Town Road before the remix, though? Because like I had it saved I... my Spotify, and I was kind of playing it on repeat. Yeah, so I mean, I liked it before it, but then ever since the Billy Ray version has come out, I, I dropped the just the regular one and the remix is the one that that comes on agreed and and i mean part of the reason why i listen to it so much is because i am a big hip-hop fan but i live in oklahoma so when i would get in my car roll the windows down and blast a little bit of old town road i really felt like i was part of the community i'm, I'm here i'm at home in okc so to have billy ray cyrus come on here and really legitimize the cunt the claim that this is a country song i think is absolutely phenomenal and introduced Billy Ray Cyrus in a way that I think a whole generation has not seen him uh, as a actual country artist versus just Miley Cyrus's dad. So in Hannah Montana's dad, right? Yes, exactly. So it's not going to be, I don't like career resurrection may be (laughs) a stretch because I don't think he's really aspiring to having like a, a career again. Right. Like his verse in old town road is all about how he's a laid back country boy who doesn't really care about stress anymore. Like he's, he's, he's been there and done that. Uh, but it has put him on the map for a lot of young music fans who potentially could become big, Billy Ray Cyrus fans. We'll see. Uh, but he, he makes it in at my number five. Number four, uh, and this is going to be a big Game of Thrones spoiler. So if, you have, if you're not caught up with Game of Thrones, um, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> you probably don't care if you're not caught up at this point. But number four, and here's the spoiler, uh, Gregor Clegane. And Gregor Clegane is also known as The Mountain. So... He was Cersei's champion for Tyrion's trial by combat, and he fought Oberyn Martell, who laced his lance with poison. So during their battle, Oberyn gets the best of the mountain. The mountain ends up crushing Oberyn's head, but the poison he succumbs to the poison, um, and ex-maester Quyburn performs a dangerous and forbidden procedure to basically turn him into like a Frankenstein's monster, this like zombie kind of guy who obeys the commands of his masters. And he's still a very vicious and powerful uh, player in the game of Thrones, even if he doesn't really control his own uh, actions. So he's still one of the most infamous characters in game of Thrones and Gregor Clegane slash the mountain comes in as my number four, uh, because they brought him back after Oberyn killed him. Number three is another career resurrection Harvey Keitel's career. And if you're not sure who Harvey Keitel is, if you've seen Pulp Fiction, he is the wolf, the guy who wears the tuxedo and shows up really quickly to help uh, clean up the blood. And he also plays Mr. White in Reservoir Dogs. And he's also in a bunch of other movies. If you've seen Grand Budapest Hotel, he's one of the prisoners in that. He has a, he has a long, uh, impressive career. He actually started out on the scene. He was in some Scorsese films, uh, which really got him onto the scene. But after that, he got replaced by um, Francis Ford Coppola in Apocalypse Now uh, because apparently he couldn't play the part or something. And this really damaged his career. And he was kind of in the shadows for a long time until Tarantino teamed up with him for 
Reservoir Dogs. And Reservoir Dogs was actually a lot of the funding came from Harvey Keitel. Reservoir Dogs ended up being a cult classic, and it was followed up by Pulp Fiction, which again, Harvey Keitel was in again. And after that, Harvey Keitel's back. He's a very respected actor and still getting work today. So his career is definitely resurrected when Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, and basically Tarantino became a director and uh, resurrected Harvey Keitel's career. Harvey Keitel is great, by the way, one of my favorite actors. Okay, number two, it's another Game of Thrones uh, spoiler. So (laughs) if you're still here and for some reason that last spoiler didn't scare you off, here's another one for you. My number two, Resurrection, is Jon Snow. And this one, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, this should be the first thing that comes to your head when you think about Resurrections because it's one of the most important ones. Jon Snow uh, killed by or betrayed by the Night's Watch when they mutiny against him because he was uh, Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. They betray him because when the the White Walkers attacked, Jon Snow allowed wildlings to come through the gate and seek shelter behind the wall, which most of the, or not most, but some of the Night's Watch perceived as a betrayal of everything that they stand for, everything that they fought for their entire lives, and they couldn't take it, and so they stab Jon a bunch of times for the Watch and murder him. And it's a Game of Thrones. Nobody is safe. Everyone can die, including Jon Snow, who at this at that point, at the end of season five, very clearly one of the protagonists. So he dies, everyone's shocked, and then you have a whole off-season. Season finale, Jon Snow is dead, and you have the whole off-season to think about it. Season six begins, and Melisandre, the, uh, the Red Witch, tries to resurrect him, but she fails until the very last moments of the episode when the camera lingers on Jon Snow and you see him. <gasps> come back to life and he's been resurrected and he's been alive ever since and a lot of people say that this kind of breaks the uh immersion in game of thrones it's like oh if you can resurrect people you you know it, it kind of deaths don't mean anything anymore but i think that they played around that pretty well because Jon snow actually made melisandre promise that she would never revive him again because Jon snow like has been through it and he doesn't want to be through that again so Jon snow my number two almost my number one but he's my number so, two so ben you you binged game of thrones though? i did and i didn't have to suffer through a whole off season of Jon Snow. how death. long yeah how long of a break was there for you um well i think i got up to use the bathroom okay uh and then i watched the next episode so about three minutes maybe <laughs> i uh yeah i didn't like and and i've been told and by every other everyone else went like almost a year <laughs> yes yeah, so other people told me it's like you should have at least waited one night come on you know but uh but i was <laughs> yeah. on it i was on a time crunch i was trying to get caught up before the uh at that time season the seven was season. coming out yeah um i have never watched one episode of game of thrones but sounds like i'm missing it's pretty great and honestly the things that i've said right now you won't even remember probably so that's i don't really consider them to be spoilers but i mean at the same time i don't consider it a spoiler because like i feel like it's a spoiler that he died in the first place not that he was resurrected sure yeah because it's Jon snow and like everyone's saying he's going to be on the throne since the first season so right and it's um the thing is the fact that you've never seen an episode brian i think uh it's i had the same opinion i was like everybody loves this show it's probably not that good and i've never seen it so whatever and i watched one episode and i was like oh okay well i have to set aside 60 hours for this um so it's (laughs) it's i'm a big fan of it i'm not so you'd just be surprised you by one episode uh yeah well because the first episode i think 
Yeah, I think the first show, the episode, does a good job of kind of uh, setting the landscape of what Game of Thrones is. You kind of get a, a little taste of what the show has to offer, and it's really intriguing. And, and it only builds on that. And some seasons are better than others, but for the most part, it has been one of the greatest TV shows I've ever seen. And uh, I think that it lives up to the hype that people, because people love this show. People stand this show. Um, and I think that the, it lives up to the hype, which is really difficult to do. A lot of it, things can easily get ruined by overhyping them. So, yeah, yeah I, okay. I think one of the reasons why I don't watch it is just because like, it's it's hyped by everyone. It's just like, oh, you know, everyone likes the show. Yes, I'm, yes. And you may have missed the boat on this one. I, I kind of got into it. It's one thing to watch it all, and then it's another thing to sit there and think about what's going to happen next and then to see it live. You know, it's kind of an event, and this is the last chance you'll have. Uh, I mean, if you haven't if you haven't seen an episode yet, it's already too late for you, really. Um, but again, it, it is really easy to have things like Thrones ruined for you by overhype and having other people tell you you're wrong for never having seen it. So I won't pressure you into watching it. I think if you did watch it, you would enjoy it. But at the same time, if someone forces you to do it, you're never going to enjoy it. So um, you know, did, like you, I would say there's no need for you to sit down and watch it. But at the same time, don't take pride in the fact that you've never seen it because uh, just because you don't like something that's popular doesn't make you interesting. Uh, not that that is the that, not that that's the way you're coming at me with this, but no, 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 like th- that happens a lot in yes. music if you like a like or dislike exactly. a certain artist. So, I love Game of Thrones. I'm so excited for it to come back this weekend, and I think I've spent long enough on my number two because people are patiently waiting for my number one. What could possibly beat out Jon Snow? And I'll tell you, it's another fantasy fictional character. Spoiler alert for Lord of the Rings, if you haven't seen Lord of the Rings yet. Gandalf the Grey takes on the Balrog in uh in the first lord of the rings movie and um he destroys the bridge that the balrog and him are standing on uh so that his friends can escape unfortunately the balrog uses its whip to drag gandalf back or uh, down with him into this huge chasm they're falling into uh but in the like in the moments that he has while he's hanging onto the cliff gandalf says a really iconic line he goes fly you fools and then he falls seemingly to his death. I read what happens to him down there is he actually goes on this like three-day battle with the Balrog where they end up at the top of some peak somewhere. And Gandalf actually ends up defeating the Balrog, which is really impressive because the Balrog is like this giant monster and Gandalf is an old man. But he succumbs to his wounds after winning the battle and seemingly is done. But Gadriel, the elf, resurrects him uh gadriel's another prominent character in lord of the rings and she resurrects him as gandalf the white and if you've seen the uh, lord of the rings movies gandalf the white goes back into the conflict and kicks everybody's butt and he's super epic so i'm i'm a big fan of lord of the rings it has been a long time since i've seen them so i'd probably have a more detailed description if i had rewatched them recently but gandalf's definitely one of my top 10 wizards of all time and he's my number one resurrection of all time Awesome. Uh, for my number five, I went with Commissioner Gordon. And for people who don't know who that is, he is the uh, police commissioner in the Batman series. And in the second Batman, The Dark Knight, which is personally my favorite uh, of all the Batman movies, and probably most uh, people's favorite Batman movie, uh, in that movie, the Joker attempts to assassinate the mayor of Gotham. And uh, Commissioner Gordon 
saves his life, but in the process, he is killed. But he actually isn't. Later in the movie, he uh, it is revealed that he faked his death. And, well, I know it's not really a resurrection, but he came back to life in the movie, and he ended up being promoted to commissioner later in the movie. And it is played by Gary Oldman, and uh, I was definitely a fan of his character in that movie. So I went with him as my number five. My number four, I went with Jack Frost. Anyone who doesn't know what the Jack Frost movie is, I already know Corey's shaking his head. <laughs> well, there's two of them. One of them is the it's not killer? the horror movie. I've never seen that movie, and I plan on not watching that movie. I will, Really? I don't want to watch it. <laughs> I don't. Okay, I thought for sure that's what it is. Go no, on. this is the the actual good movie, <laughs> or pretty good movie, not the stupid horror movie that I don't want to watch. Uh, the kids' movie. Yeah, the kids' movie. And in the kids' movie... Uh, Jack Frost, the dad, uh, he ends up traveling home in a, in a really bad snowstorm, and he ends up dying in the process. And later in the movie, uh, his son Charlie is depressed over the fact that he lost his father. And one day he ends up building a snowman, and all of a sudden his father's spirit goes into the snowman. And throughout the movie he... Uh, teaches him, uh, teaches Charlie all the values of life, and becomes the dad that he wanted to be. And I think it's a, and it's a good, and it's a pretty good movie. Unlike the horror movie that I don't want to watch. So number, so I went with Jack Frost as my number four. My number three, I went with Doctor Drake Ramore. For anyone who doesn't know who that is, that is the character, the TV show character uh, that Joey Tribbiani played on Days of Our Lives in the show friends and in i think it was season three uh there was one point where joey tribbiani in the show you know made some critical comments that the show writers of days of our lives did not like and because of that they kicked him off the show by uh killing off dr drake ramore by kicking him down an elevator shaft <laughs> and he ended up being fired from the show but later in the in the show friends uh, or in days of our lives they bring him back to life by uh giving him a brain transplant and brings him brings joey tribbiani back on the show as dr drake ramore so i went with him as my number three and were you gonna say something ben no i just think that that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I went with that as my number three for as a quote-unquote resurrection. Uh, my number two, I know that the the top the the reason for doing these top fives is do, doing something non-sports related, but I always make sure that I put in something a little bit sports related in these top fives. Uh, so for my number two, I went with Paul Pierce. And why Paul Pierce? In game one of the NBA Finals in 2008 versus the Lakers, uh, he ends up getting what you think is a serious uh, injury and ends up being carted off in a wheelchair and the series is over. The Lakers are going to win the NBA Finals and Kobe Bryant will win Finals MVP. But three minutes later, Paul Pierce is not only fine, but he ends up jogging back on the court and the Celtics take over and win that game and eventually the series and Paul Pierce wins Finals MVP. 
so I went with Paul Pierce yeah, as number two. That was just an unreal sequence. I don't know how to feel about that outside of I love the Celtics and Paul Pierce, and I'm glad they won the finals, but I understand why people kind of hate on that uh, moment as being a little little over dramatic to say the least i, I don't know I, I, th- he I, was able to come back I, th- I think he deserves the bobby Orr statue outside of the garden where bobby Orr is celebrating the the stanley cup win for scoring the goal and then paul pierce you could have a statue of him just like carting himself off in, a, in, his, wheelchair. in his wheelchair yeah you should get that Wait, statue okay. i mean because because he is because he is better than Dwayne wade right he had a oh, better God. um <laughs> i've seen that meme on twitter wait didn't i, I don't want to be crass here but didn't he like poop his pants? Isn't that why he had to be carted off the court? Wasn't that like the secret reason why he? Am I, I don't totally? Know if that's that's come out, but I think that's what some people think. Oh, okay, because I just saw that on Twitter, and I was like, oh, how that <laughs> how embarrassing in white shorts, no less. <laughs> yeah. What a great story to tell people about, like, oh, what's your most embarrassing uh, pooping your pants story? Uh, well, in game one of the NBA Finals, I I faked an injury, but I ended up pooping my pants in front of the entire world. Yeah, that that would be one heck of a poop story, <laughs> pooping your pants story, if that was actually true. Uh, but yeah, anyway, Paul Pierce is my number two. My number one, I went with Henry Doheny. And not Harry Houdini, the magician, but Henry Doheny, the magician, in the episode of Drake and Josh. And, uh, and in that episode, Henry Doheny is a struggling ma- uh, magician and he ends up uh, later in the episode staying over at Drake and Josh's house for a few days. And Josh in the show ends up thinking of a great idea by having a, a, ma- uh, a show for him. Uh, to get his career back uh, back and running. And so for his trick, spoiler alert if for everyone who hasn't seen the episode, uh, in this episode, uh, Henry Doheny decides to go into this casket and Drake and Josh, they end up putting knives through, through this uh, casket or this box. And then all of a sudden, he does not show... Uh, where he was supposed to, uh, and then all of a sudden they find out that he's dead in the box because of what happened by putting the knives through the box. And then at his funeral, he shows up like out of nowhere, and as that's his magic <laughs> trick, and he, and and it gets all over the news, and he ends up getting a million dollar contract to do magic tricks uh, in his own show in Las Vegas. And because it was their sister's uh, Megan's idea she ends up getting a check for 50 grand while drake and josh just end up getting yo <laughs> <laughs> so i went with henry doheny uh as my number one for resurrections that from is the great dead. all right so that ends our top five segment and before we end the episode let's do our final takes so ben do you have a final take in mind or do you have? Uh, are you willing to take a shot at your your Stanley Cup playoffs predictions? <laughs> um, definitely don't have a Stanley Cup playoffs prediction. So <laughs> I'm gonna go with we're gonna see playoff P. We're gonna actually see playoff P uh, come alive in the postseason here. I know things have been shaky recently. The, the Rockets. I mean, it was it was a good game against the Rockets, but for the most part, Paul George has been pretty disappointing since the All Star break. But I think that once playoff P hits the court, there's going to be no looking back. All right. So I know Brian and I are both going to give our Stanley Cup 
picks. So, Brian, do you want to start off? Yeah, so even though they lost yesterday, uh, I like the Tampa Bay Lightning to win the Stanley Cup. And even though it's not a good idea to pick the President's Trophy winner. Never a good idea. It never is. It's um, it's even a bigger curse. You can make a case it's a bigger curse than the Madden cover. Uh, but I still love the Lightning. I've picked them to win the Stanley Cup like five years in a row So now. And <laughs> yeah. I have more. I have even more reason to... Uh, like them this year they have their team is completely stacked they have Stamkos Steven Stamkos leading that first line uh, and then on their next line they have Nikita Kucherov who is in my opinion the MVP of the league uh, yeah Braden, I agree with that yeah and Braden Point uh, is a terrific centerman as well and not only that but having Victor Hedman and Ryan McDonough on the ice uh, as your two uh, leading left defenseman for 45 to 50 minutes a game on the power play and the penalty kill. How do you? How can you deal with those two uh, on the ice? So I I love their decor with those two, and I love their power play with not only Stamkos, Kucherov, uh, and and Braden Point, but uh, they also have Palat, Tyler Johnson, Alex Kalorn. They're loaded everywhere, and Vasilevsky is one of the arguably one of the best goaltenders in the league. Uh, I, I love them to... I think they can beat Columbus still. Uh, they typically start slow in any series. Last year when they faced the Bruins, the Bruins uh, upset them in game one. And like, oh my God, the Bruins are actually going to upset the Lightning. And then all of a sudden, uh, they go, they, come out, four in a they row. come out guns blazing and just win four in a row. And you can make a case that if they beat the Capitals in game seven, they are going to move on and win. Uh, the Stanley Cup. Uh, they've been they've been knocking on the door constantly. They made this cup when they faced the Blackhawks, but the Blackhawks that was when they were uh, just that elite team with not only Taves and Kane but uh, everyone in their prime. Uh, so I I like I like the Tampa Bay Lightning to win the cup. See, it feels like the easy pick. The Lightning had what like the third or fourth best season in NHL history. Uh, they like you said they've come so close but that president's trophy there's just something about it that you i do agree I, mind I, president's I, I, trophies I, and stanley I, cups i do agree so, with that unfortunately <laughs> i have a a bold prediction a canadian team will win the stanley cup hasn't happened since 1993 but this is a year where it finally happens so do you I don't know who i mean it's calgary well, or winnipeg <laughs> Or Toronto. No, oh, I, mean, Toronto, I, I really like the Jets. I don't think the Jets are really a, a, the Stanley Cup contender that I was hoping they would be. Um, and then Calgary had a really solid season. So they're probably the team who's going to do it. But I, I think someone someone from that, that uh, the Great North is going to win it. it for, for the best hockey country in the world it's it's pretty sad that they haven't won a Stanley Cup in 26 years now. I think it's it's going to happen. That's my bold take. I would have. I wouldn't mind it if Winnipeg. I, I liked Winnipeg coming into the year, but they've been kind of cold lately. But they do have Dustin Bufflin back uh, from his long injury, so that could really help them. All right, the Flames are going to get revenge against the Lightning and the Stanley Cup uh, <laughs> make up for the 15 years ago when Tampa beat them. All right, so that that wraps up our episode. Uh, as always, make sure you go out and. You know, like subscribe rate review do all that stuff uh, we would really appreciate it and of course the twitter account 
uh, go ahead and give us a follow. You know, individually, you can give us a follow as well. Brian, we got finally convinced him to join Twitter. I don't know if he's been on it since he opened up the Twitter app for the first time. But if you want to give out your username and try to grow that followers list. I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> okay, I think it was well, B Wells 1522. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, that, that works. At He's Done It Pod is the main Twitter account. Of course, we got some exclusive content on Twitter. So, uh, just go ahead and uh, contribute to the podcast by more than just listening to it. That's all we ask. So, for my co-hosts, Brian Wells and Benjamin Carlson, I'm Corinne Foggy. Thanks, everyone.